X-Force. Yeah. Are you ready for X-Force? Oh, yeah. I'm you, ready. You're ready because you already read it. Because I read it. Dawn of X, X-Force. Welcome to the X-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. I'm a little disappointed that I don't say my name differently every time. Every time. You gotta you gotta keep him guessing. Is that still Justin or has he been taken over by a spirit that's singing the songs of his name? The world may never know. You're gonna find out because no, nah, it's me. It's me, y'all. Hey, I told you. And today <laughs> we're talking about X-Force, number one from the dawn of X. X-Force. X-Force. Now, we didn't talk about X-Force as a comic previously. No. X-Force is the evolution of New Mutants. The only thing I feel like I know about X-Force is wasn't Deadpool on an X-Force team and then they reference it in the Deadpool movies? Yep. Deadpool in... Deadpool he's like, is, X-Force. Yeah, <laughs> Deadpool is associated with X-Force. He is not necessarily a member, at least in the beginning. He messes around with Cable. Cable is the leader of X-Force. Oh, in Cable the original is the run. leader. X-Force kind of takes on, is an evolution of some of the New Mutants. So New Mutants as a title ends. X-Force, the original run, begins afterwards, reformed with a couple other characters. And it operates kind of as a paramilitary operation. I mean, I get those vibes. From this, right? From this. Right, well... If you're a kind of a paramilitary strike team in X-Force for the mansion or for like the dream of Charles Xavier, what is the analogous iteration of that in comparison to a whole country? Security and defenses. (laughs) A strike force, the CIA, the FBI. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) I they, did not like being quizzed. I felt very under pressure to get the correct answer. It, there is no correct answer, especially at this point. But later on, it is described as somewhat of a mutant CIA. Okay. Right. This is this is the the nation's security, the intelligence and and strike operations of the nation of Krakoa. Krakoa. First, let's talk about this cover. Yeah, let's talk about this it. cover. Is great. I like the way that the mutants are in this like pyramid situation that they're standing atop of some kind of rubble. And so they all look like they're about to take their action shots. And I'm literally just now realizing that this guy with the glasses. Quentin Quire. He's wearing like a shirt that is a classic kind of like nerd shirt these days where it lists off like names of people like usually you'll see them from like a tv show like if you were going to see one about this it would say colossus and wolverine and beast and gene gray and domino and whatever and so it says nathan and nina and does it say gavid yep and tabitha and something and something and something and you can't read the rest of them but i wonder is that all of their names or is that the original X-Force? So, Nathan Cable. Yes. Nina Domino. Yes. Gavidra. Oh, Gavidra. Is Shatterstar's name. Tabitha is Boom Boom. Maria is for Feral. 
Sam is the first one that we're not able to see, and James is blocked off. This is the original lineup of X-Force, which is a nice little Easter egg. funny. That's cool. Look at me, always noticing things about clothing. And so you wouldn't know this on first look or even after reading this first issue, but there's a intentional division on where they're standing. So the left side is the intelligence side, and the right side is the strike force. Oh, interesting. At least in design from the start, right? Not to say that Gene can't strike, or even Black Tom with his working with and through Krakoa. <laughs> I just like, I don't. Black Tom Cassidy. I can't with his name. That's his name. But why? Because that's his name. Okay, I'll let it go. Beast has a haircut. That's what I notice. He's got like, he doesn't have his like crazy beast hair. Yeah, he looks like he's a modeling some new beast And looks. Colossus looks bigger than he should be, but like, is he really that much bigger than Beast? I mean, when he's metal, yeah. When he's metal, Colossus is much taller than, I think he's in like 7'3 or something like that. Like that kid we saw in the store the other day? Oh my God, don't even get me talking about this kid. <laughs> I literally ran down the aisle to see if he was standing up on something. This man was so tall. Tallest guy I've ever seen in real life. He was like don't towering get me going. over the I'm the a tall guy. I'm a tall store. guy. When I see someone that's this tall, come on. I'm 6'3". This man... He was huge. He was huge. It was awesome. Oh, you got me going now. You got me going now. Colossus is huge too. We'll talk about him instead. Okay. So we've talked about this cover. So shall we get into it? Shall we page turn noise this X-Force issue? 7-5 in armored form. Colossus. Colossus. You looked it up. I did. Excellent. Page well, how turn. tall is Beast? Beast is 5'11". 5'11". 5'11". That's it? What's Wolverine? 5 feet? 5'4"? Five 5'3". Five I know that off the top of my head. He's shorter than me. Okay, now, page turn noise. First of all, I I need to start talking about this issue, talking about the art. Great. The art in this book is amazing. It is so different from any other book. It's it has its own style and I love that so much. And it's interesting that you say that. So I, I loved the art in this issue. It does evolve slightly as it goes on in other issues. It's not as painterly as I would say. Mm-hmm. It was kind of describe it. But it does still retain a lot of the initial style that we see here. This is Joshua Kassara, who is one of the, I don't know, the, I don't think they're called Young Guns anymore, Stormbreakers. So this is like the next generation or next lineup of elite artists. Every year, Marvel will pick artists that are up, or up and coming in their projects and their work. Spotlight them. Joshua Kassara is one of them. R.B. Silva from Powers of Ten yeah. is another one. I love this art. Yeah. And I love this concept. So we're immediately brought into this new world, new characters. We don't know really much of anything of this, but just the intrigue of it. Yeah. This monologue of this... You know, what we'll need is a little blood. I, I My notes say, whoa, is this the opening of the purifiers? And is this their first meeting or do they have to get blood tested every time? I think they might have to get blood tested every time. Like they have to. That's this, how they check in. Yeah. This Let is a, your blood. Make sure you don't have the X gene. This is a really high top secret human organization talking about some intense things. 
So this meeting is happening and, you know, there's this big, okay, we need to make sure there's no mutants. Before the meeting commences, each of us must test clean. My companion here will collect the samples. So you automatically are like, okay, what's up? Who's not going to test clean? Yeah. And and then just on that second page with the big shot of how large this group is and how immediately they all cut their finger into the blood. I don't think that this is their, this might be their first meeting. We don't necessarily know that at this point, but they all immediately accept this as, yeah, that's a given. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. And immediately coming over to this person who's not moving. Oh, right. I suppose it's gloves off. If it's blood you're after, white, you know, it took hand. a lot of luck to get in here. As soon as I read that, I was like, Domino, Domino. I know things about Domino from the movies. Yeah. Well, and then this is the comic. You see Domino on the cover right. and then you get this. It took a lot of luck to yep. get in here. And you're like, oh, this must be Domino. But I know Domino's appearance in the comics is different. Yep. It's just... It's just this art. It's just this art. It's so good. I like, I really enjoy the art and I really enjoy not necessarily the, it's the lightness in text and concept. Yeah. Right. So we're three pages in and we're really just getting the fuller idea of this one location and this one concept of testing, making sure that you're not a a mutant or doing a secret meeting. You know, it's, it's going slower with its idea. Mm -hmm. All of this is new concept. In terms of this this meeting, this kind of test that I that I've seen before, and so Domino's taking on all these peeps, and yeah, this dope action sequence of yeah. that that middle panel on that page where That's she's just going yeah. off. She's just fighting and fighting and fighting, and then grab like from behind layers of the same fight over, and then yeah, she's grabbed from behind and just smashed down, unmasked. We see. Domino, out of luck. Oof. And it just ends with that guy stepping on our throat. We require blood. And you see the one guy with his face revealed all the way to the left, grinning. Oof. I didn't notice him at first. And then we get the page with all the people in their little squares. New intelligence. Mutants around the world are flocking to the island nation of Krakoa for safety, security, and to be part of the first mutant society. However... A new nation means new enemies. X-Force. Hunting Ground. Written by Benjamin Percy. Art by Joshua Kassara. Color artist Dean White. Letterer VCs Joe Caramanga. Designed by Todd Muller. The cover artist was Dustin Weaver. Jonathan Hickman as our head of X. And the editorial team. In the small text on the page before, it says a spy agency. And then in the small text on these pages, it says mutant espionage, law and order. Yeah. Probe. Issue one. Hunting ground. Then we get in. Yeah, this this page in particular is like, wow, this art's cool. It's and so beautiful. There was some there was a lot of interesting response from this, I remember at the beginning, that some people didn't necessarily like this art. And I thought just how unique it was, and especially with the colors in here, I think it, you know, it's it's a collaborative interesting it's a collaborative result. You have Joshua Casara's pencils for sure, but I think the the depth in the kind of blending of all the colors that are on these pages really adds to that painterly feel. Yeah, and I think because there isn't a lot of dialogue, there's a lot that you're seeing through the images and the way that 
there are there's a variety of images where the background is really detailed like beast walking along this river and you know he almost like blends into the background itself but then right when he's being attacked by this animal or when wolverine jumps out on the next page the background is really it's more of a color scape with a few details and then the action really sticks out i just think it's it's really beautifully done and the the variant in the colors is really like it makes everything pop and it just it's a it's a different i don't necessarily know if level is the right word but it's a different genre or caliber of art like it takes it feels different than a regular comic mm-hmm. yeah i mean i'd say that it's it's this artist's style right yeah i'd say similarly Rod Reese in New Mutants had a very different look mm-hmm. and vibe to, you know, like the, the vastness of space and the kind of the the looseness of the character faces and, and how they were shifting in the rage. But I do think that this, the combination of less dialogue, more action, and the ability to really showcase the artwork mm-hmm. really works. And it works for this being an easier read, like yeah. a, a lighter book to move through. Yeah. And a book that, yeah, if you don't know these characters, you might have questions, but otherwise you're pretty good to go in this first issue. You don't need to know a whole lot about, and even the couple of characters that we're introduced to in these first few pages, you might not know Domino. Everybody knows Beast and Wolverine. Yeah. And the fact that the concept that we're introduced in, right? So the first handful of pages, we had this concept of this anti-mutant group meeting secret society and then now it's the different approaches you have beast and wolverine approaching this animal this threat on the island in very different ways which is interesting right because i was reading this and i was like what is this animal how is it on krakoa and there are animals on krakoa that we don't know about it's like didn't krakoa create itself so did it create these animals as like a defense mechanism like i just popped up so many questions in my head and they talk about a lot of those questions as we go further right Mm -hmm. even as wolverine comes down with the claws and beast says no don't let it be logan you know wolverine is blown away by this 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 compassion of this beast as it really like it's it's coming at beast over his shoulder looking so horrifying and beast just says oh dear oh dear Oh dear. And and that like they're these two and their different sides of it. They're both kind of a beast, right? Mm-hmm. Hank comes at it more from a point of study. Logan, a point of nature and survival. As they're talking about, you know, that thing almost made you into its lunch and you want me to let it be. I want to know what it is. That's all. I can't it can't possibly be a product of the island. If it were, it wouldn't have harmed me. Maybe it mistook me for a threat. I There's always a predator. Yeah. That line. And then Wolverine, when he says, because you felt sheltered, that's what Krakoa does. Makes everyone feel safe. And when you're safe, you're soft. Yeah, which is kind of what we were talking about in that issue of Excalibur, of Apocalypse's thoughts of what might come from this paradise. But us, you know, questioning that. And is that really what's going to create stronger mutants? Or is it going to make you feel safe and sheltered? Mm-hmm. Data page, data page. Probably one of my favorite data pages. Security features of Krakoa. Just because it takes a concept that we know and expands a lot further on it. So we know Krakoa. Mm-hmm. 
And we would assume that there might be some defenses that they've at least started, but now we get very specific on the details of those defenses. Now, you had mentioned Black Tom, his name. Yes. So his connection to Krakoa is very recent development of his powers, and it's still evolving, this this kind of a deeper connection to the entire consciousness of the island. This is Banshee's cousin. Okay, I was going to ask that because when I first read this, I was like, Cassidy? Mm-hmm. Like, Banshee Cassidy? So they're cousins. He's a former criminal, and he worked with Juggernaut. Mm. And initially, he would shoot blasts through wood, but a secondary mutation bonded more, and, and it really evolved his ability to connect with and become more plant-like and or of the woods that he would channel his powers through. And so this is referring to him as the host. So in New Mutants, what was his name? Mondo yep. was basically attempting to be a host for Kokoa and that didn't work out. And so is that a similar thing that's happening with Black Tom Cassidy or is it just, that's just his what his powers are that he... I think it's all them trying to evolve and trying to connect in different ways to what is possible, right? So you have, and this gets furthered much later on in the books, mm-hmm. but this idea of you know mutant technology, this idea of mutants working in tandem together. You have the five creating something unheard of in mutant society beforehand. What else could we do that allows us to benefit from each other's abilities, each other's powers? So to this degree, Black Tom has never done something like this. Oh, interesting. So... But this page is talking about the security systems and that basically there's a range within, you know, the underwater landscape that can sense certain things coming into its zoning or whatever. And then that there's an atmospheric detector as well that surrounds the island in a loose dome and can sense or acknowledge when something is coming closer to the island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just feel like this, as a data page, builds on our understanding of Krakoa as a whole, right? So this isn't necessarily just a data page for X-Force. This is a data page that builds out Mm -hmm. your bigger picture understanding of what Krakoa is and what the capabilities that the mutants have developed are. So Black Tom Cassidy is basically underwater? He's sensing underwater so right now he's sitting on a chair somewhere on Krakoa but he's sensing this disturbance oh and then even in that third panel he sees a ship out there what is that everybody's supposed to come through the gates you can't trust what doesn't come through the gates which is a a theme of this whole book and and something that you know Black Tom is very adamant about through this whole issue is all this coming and going what's to trust who and and what's going on but it's kate yeah it's not it's not that you're wrong it's that the rules don't apply to kate kitty pride which come on and her marauders first crossover i mean technically wolverine from x-men issue as well but i don't think that counts because wolverine is in everything (laughs) but we have our our team just recently formed in their first issue Mm -hmm. now in this first issue and, and it's they're here. treated less of a crossover, more of like a, we all exist in this one Petri dish of a world story. And I love Tom's agitation and his way of speaking and how he wants in on the drug run. <laughs> <laughs> it just it harkens back to him as a criminal and just 
black market, you know, there's something on board that ship. Black market goods we hear. Kitty's smuggling. We might have to get ourselves a taste of that. That's not what I'm talking about. Then what is it? That's Jean who's talking to him telepathically. Yep, as she drops in from the sky in the next page, bringing them all in, discussing the refugees' situation. Piotr having been there before, arranging with mutants to help get them out. Just look how injured he is. It's like a hole in his leg on that last panel. Yikes. From the desk of Professor Charles Xavier. Another data page. Our second data page. And this talks about, and I think that, you know, in, in similarity, this is a furthering of the Marauders story or Marauders concept, right? We're talking about the official response to treaty nations and the... Unofficial. Unofficial response, right? So what we're really doing in the background. <laughs> unofficial or the official will try and win them over. Diplomatic slash propaganda campaigns. Friendly disagreement unless you attack will respond. Unofficial, the Black King running the Black Market by rule and force. Mutant operative cells working towards extraction from the Mother Nations. And that lists specifically Piotr, Peter Nikolovchevich Rasbusin, having been on the ground, the boots on the ground on this extraction mission. Mm. So it's interesting because in a way... This idea for this unofficial business is kind of referred to as like what spies do, right? Yeah, spies it's unofficial, are, it's off the record, right. but it's but it's talking about what the marauders are doing. So even though the marauders are their own separate team, it's leading me to assume that they will somehow be connected to what X-Force is doing or their paths or their storylines might cross over occasionally. Well, I think it's also thinking about how, so the Hellfire trading, the export of yes. drugs, that's a big part of Krakoa, right? That's its, its natural resource other than mutants. But that's above board. Like that's on the table that they know they're doing that. Right. So it's sort of like, what else are they doing within that, that they're not advertising? Mm-hmm. The Marauders are not, so yeah, Marauders because, are delivering. Because Emma was market. saying something about like, you know, the, the trading companies and and all of that to Kate in the beginning of Marauders. Whereas and then, Sebastian the Black King is handling the kind of dealings with those off the off the books people. Ah, so they're doing the off the books thing with the cover of the on the books thing and also taking in mutants. Right. Right. So that's like the off the books, off the books. You know, that's that's really the core of what the Marauders are doing, as well as delivering some things for the Hellfire Training Company. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And now we're on a plane. Airplane friends. We've got these two people. Making eye contact. I was kind of highly confused about at first. Like, who are they? Yeah. What's going on? How did we get here? Because usually when they change, because usually when they change uh, locations or whatever, they have a little bubble that's like, no, we're here. Was this uh, Seoul Incheon International Airport? Yes. But no descriptor as to who these people are. They do make eye contact at separate points. We're getting some details about a diverted trip, a long, rough ride. I got thriller movie vibes from this. Ooh. Right? So kind of, oh, something might happen on this airplane ride. And then we're back on Krakoa. Yeah. We're talking to Sage. And Sage is looking for Domino. Yeah. Ooh, Xavier's worried about him. Xavier's worried about her. It's been more than a week since Cerebro lost contact with Domino. You read my mind. And it also just shows us some further expansion on Sage's role and what she's been doing as part of Krakoa's security. Mm. And how 
it works in connection with, in tandem with Black Tom. Interesting. Welcome to Sokovia. Yeah, now Xavier's in Sokovia. Now. I read this and I was like, please, please give me Wanda. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it would never happen. No, not here. Sadly. Something, I mean, I saw this initially and then I thought later on, especially that last panel on this page as he's taking the drink. Yeah, what's up? What's in this drink? What's in that, right? What is that little thing floating around? Right. But it it distinctly looks like it's something that we're supposed to take notice of. Right. Like it doesn't just look like it's a bubble in in the beverage. It looks like there's something in that glass. Don't do it, Charles. Too late. But they are toasting. A toast, perhaps? And good food and much celebration. A toast to a better world. A toast to Sokovia's friend and guardian, Charles Xavier. Yeah. Just as I am pleased that you've come around to the idea of signing the treaty. Let us smile, yes? Smile for the future of our alliance. So this is a a country that maybe had rejected mutant sovereignty initially and then now has signed the treaty of alliance. What changed? Now we have this this open gate and this ability to interact. And I think it's bold, and, and you know they talk about this later on, but I think it's bold that Xavier is doing these diplomatic missions on his own, unattended. Yeah, and also, like, where's the council? Right. Why isn't the council involved in this? Well, I wonder how much the world government knows about, like, the world's governments know about the council. So you think maybe the world's governments assume Charles Xavier is, to be Charles essentially like... Charles in charge mm, of Krakoa like and the, our drugs. Like the president Charles of, in charge of our mutants and our loves. Great work. Okay. Moving on. Yeah, they, they might assume that he is president. President business. President business. Okay. The so Healing Garden. Now we're in the Healing Garden. Which is a cool location, cool concept, and a great appointment of a character. So the healer is a Morlock. Oh, cool. Yeah. And just very distinct role that he's been given in this new fleshed out location now of having a healing garden. So is it just him or are there elements of Krakoa that help heal people as well? I'm not sure. I believe it's just him, but I'm not sure. I don't think that there's been any indication of Krakoa being able to heal. And actually, it's converse to that fact where Krakoa would initially drain the energy of mutants. Oh, right. Okay, so they're healing Colossus. As Jean is working with him telepathically to determine what has happened. What happened flashes of colossus's work on the ground and just i can't tell you where they hurt because they hurt everywhere and then there's that plane plane problems as this guy is just so calm even the woman looking it's like why how come you're not putting your mask on yeah this plane is clearly experiencing some turbulence potentially about to to crash and And he's he's licking his thumb as he turns the page who really does that just reading his little book parachuters so these guys and gals as they're getting ready this organized assault now this this really stuck out to me i didn't get the answer here i don't think you get the answer for a little while but Mm -hmm. maybe you do as you start to piece it together these strips of white on their bodies oh what is it you're not gonna tell me I don't know if I want to tell you just yet because we do find it out in the next few issues, but... Okay, don't tell me. But honestly, I didn't even notice them, like, really. Yeah. I just thought it's like war paint or something. Notice that they all have them, too. 
You have that. What is it, KT tape? <laughs> no. They got some injuries they need to take care of? We have a clue in the next few pages. But... I really love this image, though, of them jumping out of the plane. Oh, I love that. And just yeah. like the streaks of air flying past them and yeah. the plane. And... It, it's just, it's really epic and it gives us a very clear sense of place and, and what they're doing. Yeah. And then you see Krakoa. that they're jumping out of this plane to Krakoa. And I'm wondering, okay, so like they're above whatever this dome is that is sensing. And so it's not until it's, it's not until they're basically breaching the whatever would be considered the atmosphere of this dome that Tom Cassidy even knows that they're there. Yeah. And he actually sees them on that next page. The defenses have been engaged. Tom notices from above, potentially in connection to the airways, Sage calling it as Domino. Tom's not too sure, interrogating the why and what. Domino, you're sure? Then why why hasn't her ass been in communication? And where could her ass possibly be parachuting in from? The moon, maybe? Domino could arrive by Zeppelin, paper airplane, or catapult, and I wouldn't be surprised. Don't like it. Not one bit. Starts this conversation with Xavier about his his distrust of what's happening and what's going on. I mean, I I hear his point, right? Because the gates themselves can... The gates themselves can detect if you're a mutant or you're not a mutant. So you can't get in through the gates if and, you're not a mutant. And also tell you who is walking through them. Right. And it categories, categorizes you. It's like, boom, you're identified. This is who you are. But if you're entering the island without the gate, then there's no way to know who you are or right. how, like, what your motivation is. Well, so on that first page on the spread, I'm aware the monitor is acting a little bit glitchy, but it looks like Domino, she's back, question mark. So this is reading in the atmosphere, this as Domino. But it's not a Domino. Right. Is that supposed to be a clue? Yes. <laughs> I don't know the answer. So on this next page, Xavier is kind of really blind faith here and not seemingly listening to Tom at all. You know? And you're safe. You're soft. Right. You know, he's just like, we've got these things in place. Identification and categorization is Sage's business. It's about more than fingerprints on an ink pad. It's about what's inside their skulls and hearts. Stay centered on the target. What's the target? Uh, And then Wolverine can smell something's off. Yeah. He smells something. Yeah. He sees the fact that the parachute people. I wonder wonder what this slab of meat is that he's eating. He went and got that animal. Yeah. He was like, screw you, beast. Bye, beast. Uh I'm getting this thing. I'm hungry. Lunch. And this point from Xavier, all mutants can be trusted, like all Charles, forever? Just blind faith on that? Feels a little naive. And we see what that- But you you do have to- Right. You have to put that forward. You have to say, if that's what what Krakoa is, and this is supposed to be a safe haven, then I'm supposed to trust you until you give me reason not to trust you. Right. Which is dangerous. Yeah. For sure. Xavier kind of preaching- I wrote Xavier preaching while mutants start screeching. Tom takes control. He's telling him, no, you're full of baloney. You know, there's something that you need to listen to Black Tom and run like hell. I just love Xavier's look of like, what? I was wrong? How could it be? And then just like all of these panels on these next pages. Just like little close-ups of little glimpses of, you know... (laughs) Black Tom Cassidy is like, okay, get out of here, Xavier. And then I'm assuming that that's Sage. And it looks like there's blood on her glasses. 
oh no and then you see yeah i think that that's more the the readings that she's seeing of of like the intense action happening oh okay that makes sense and then gene sensing it and then wolverine is running when i read this page today when i was doing notes for this i heard the tiktok song oh no oh no oh no 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 we have to make that now oh god that last panel on the page how much violence is happening all around to your point of the the detail right you can name a decent amount of these mutants I can. <laughs> I, I can. I'm like, uh, pyro? That's no. Bo- that's boom boom. Okay. No, I can't. <laughs> and that looks like Gray Malkin. There's another page in a future issue that is exactly all the things that we're talking about. Just wide scope and detail. Cool. Can't wait to get to it. All right. So everyone's realizing that this attack is happening. Yeah. And Black Tom is taking control. You're not just fighting Black Tom. You're fighting us. You're fighting the teeth and claws and stinking genitals of all Krakoa. Yikes. And Xavier realizes there's psionic blockers. He's not able to pinpoint who these people are. Target is on the move. (gasps) Target is Xavier. They have an awareness of Xavier's movement, which I think is interesting to, to think about. Maybe that drink had a tracker in it. I don't know how... Xavier knows that he's the target, you know, but I can't run either. Not when I'm the finish line. Yeah. I literally wrote the same thing. If Xavier can't sense them because they have a block, how does he know that he's the finish line? Yeah. Epic page. Just the violence, the raging out Wolverine and beast getting real violent, continuing their big picture conversation about predators and feeling safe. I'm afraid it's just as you said, my friend, there are indeed always predators. Told you so. Love these lines from Jean. We were stupid and slow and careless. It's time to be smart and swift and violent. This can never happen again. Just awesome displays of power. And even the mercs are surprised by the reaction. Did you really not see this coming? Did you really think we weren't going to fight back? I'm sorry, the who, what now? The mercs. I just call them mercenaries. You know, we don't know exactly who they are just yet. I thought that was a slip. No. It was, it was an intentional name that I wrote in my notes so I wouldn't have to tell you who they really were. Dagnabbit! But the idea of like the fight that they're fighting back is literally just the declaration of Krakoa as a nation. Right. That, I mean, they had to expect a little bit of that, no? But sure, yeah. But to the point where how long has this happened? You know, this is issue one of the fifth title i guess so Mm -hmm. still pretty early i'm assuming in krakoa's announcement still doing signings with new countries but yeah they should have expected they they thought that what they had put in place was enough to keep them safe right it's one thing to know that you are homo superior but it's another thing to to just think that nobody's going to to rest on your superiority right that no one's going to challenge that like it's it's Highly likely that an island full of mutants could easily defend itself from humans trying to attack them. And to know that is one thing. But to be too sort of full of yourself and cocky and think that you don't really need to have any sort of defenses up is a little foolish. I mean, they had some, you know, it's just they weren't they ready. They really have defenses. They had Alerting. sensors, yeah, right? right? Say like, oh, something's coming, but they didn't have any immediate defenses. Right. Which, you know, they had no reason for it. 
at but least that's dumb. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is I mean, they did have a reason. That's what Gene calls out. You know, we we were stupid and slow and careless, right? We, we thought we were safe. We thought we were a lot safer than we were, and now we're realizing that we aren't. Yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate, right? It's like okay, they so should have assumed the worst. You're a group of of mutants, and you're all the mutants, and you're saying we're going to build this island nation because people are like destroying us and attacking us constantly in other nations. So let's just make a nation of our own. But we're not going to prepare ourselves for the for the moment when people attack us when we're all together. And right. didn't. Emma Frost brought that up. She was like, okay, so Genosha, you learn nothing. Right. You're just going to gather everyone together in one location to get attacked at one time. Fools. And the fight continues. And then Charles is alone. And Jean senses it. Charles, we're coming. I know this isn't easy to accept. But we're your only chance at blam. I love that blam shot. It's just it's so cool, even though it's it's literally just the layer sketched of the blam over the art. You know, it could just have been the panel of the three of them reacting. But yeah, but that's the, what the makes letter, it so beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it like a standout panel. And then Wolverine goes off. Yeah, well, you shot Charles, okay? What do you expect him to do? Right. Beast wanting to keep at least one alive to question. We need to understand who's responsible. Sage is reacting to what just happened, trying to make sense of it all. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me Krakoa is wrong. Tell me it's not true. But also, like, why are y'all so upset? Because you can just bring him right back. I wrote that. So, all right. We're at the end of the issue. Big Charles picture. Is dead. I mean, talk about a cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I loved the action, the, the streamlined concept of the issue. I think it's a little suspect in an age where we've sent all these ideas up of these big claims that we've conquered death and to have in the first issue of a title, a death played for impact and a death played as a cliffhanger. Yeah. Right. It's unclear, yes, if they can resurrect and back up Xavier. At least, you know, who's going to do the Cerebro backup of him? But I thought the Cerebro backups were already, like, on file. They're on file, but if you remember from the, what was that, House of X 5, I believe, Cerebro and Xavier is the one that, like, oh, mind, yeah. mind blasts well, Gene you. Gene can do it. Right? And so that asks the question of, if Gene can also do it, how come she or other telepaths are not already baked into this resurrection protocol. Because Xavier wants everything for himself. Well, that's foolish. Well, okay. You know, you think clearly it, through this whole issue, they've been foolish. Yeah. <laughs> I think of it more as, you know, they talked about the, the limits in mutant resurrection, the limits in production of this process. If you could potentially speed up this process and be raising your mutant army a lot faster, wouldn't you be doing that? Right. You would. I would think you would. But also, it doesn't make any sense to me. If they know that Xavier is the only one who can do it, then they wouldn't be letting Xavier be by himself. Or they walking around. Him, right. He wouldn't be going to, to other countries and doing things without protection. And in this instance, when... I'm just going to call him Tom Cassidy. When Tom Cassidy is like... Tom. Tom, when Tom's like, yo, something's not right, Xavier, run... If if Xavier is the only one who can complete this protocol, then someone would stay and protect Xavier. Like they wouldn't know that. So it just seems a little bit foolish to to either a have Xavier be the only one who can do it and not have better protection for Xavier, or b to be getting so upset when they know that he could be resurrected. Like it's kind of the same conversation that we had earlier when 
we were talking about the the five originally, and it was like, oh well, there are other mutants who could kind of step in fill in points. if we needed them to. Why like, wouldn't you have a second five then? You right. Know? Why wouldn't you be? You know, if, if the goal is to resurrect all the the mutants that we've lost, if the goal is to really build this as a nation and to build defenses, yes, I understand. You slow play the narrative, right? You want this to be something that you can read and engage with over time and not just, hey, here's a problem, here's a solution. Hey, here's another problem. Hey, we got a solution. But how do you make it more part of a believable narrative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I get. I I get for storytelling purposes I, why it's just one team and whatever. And but, also just how new and different of an idea the five was. Yes. It just seems like when you when you build up Hoxpox, the ending of Hoxpox is like, yeah, we can resurrect everyone. And then the this this first issue, Charles is dead. It's like I don't feel, I don't feel nervous. No, I didn't at all. I almost I almost felt upset by it. I just wrote, and Xavier is dead. Yeah. I'm like okay, he but he's not. But he's not. He's coming back. Or at least you hope he's not. Or you rest assured that this can't be the end of Xavier in issue one, right? Right. <laughs> The nation just started. You know, there's, there's kind of the, the constructs of the narrative working against this as a reality. This image is dope, though. Oh, yeah. And it's what, like exploded helmet. And I'll give you a little tease for the future. What they do with the remains of that helmet is pretty cool. Ooh. I don't like the delivery of it. I feel like we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but I I really like this issue. I thought... Obviously, I've talked a bunch about the artwork, so I think the artwork is really beautiful. I liked the simplicity of like not a ton of dialogue and letting the art do some of the storytelling. I liked that it this issue to me felt very much like a continuation of the story that they've already set up, right? They set up the world of Hoxpox. They're living on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. We got a little bit more information with like the security of Krakoa and like Sage's job a little bit more and Tom a little bit more and... Xavier doing Xavier his missions. Xavier doing some more diplomatic things. And just the philosophy but, of this island and what it means to them. I feel like that's this, interesting. Yeah, this issue to me felt like as a new reader of Hoxpox, I can just keep going with this story. Yep. This is furthering the story. This is furthering the world that's been created. It's giving me, me more information about that world, mm-hmm. but it's not hitting me with a bunch of information that I know nothing about. Yeah. And I think I read this one super quickly. Um. I yeah, I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah. Uh you you had said something about that in another episode. And you gotta think, yes, that that is part of the goal of these titles, right? To further the missions of Krakoa, to further the bigger idea, but it also is to play in this world that's been created, right? To spin what stories you could out of what combinations and connections that you could have. And I feel like some really do deliver on that ability to follow as a direct connection from Hoxpox, whereas others really take and set up their own thing going forward. Right. Like I feel like this and Marauders are like, hey, this is what's happening with Krakoa afterwards. And then so far the other ones and X-Men. are a little. Oh, yeah. And X-Men. <laughs> less so, but uh, less so in that first issue. But as it develops further, yes. Um, but Excalibur is kind of doing its own thing. New Mutants is very much doing its own thing, but couched in this idea of the world and environment of what it means to be a quote-unquote new mutant Mm -hmm. and fallen angels is very much kind of its own thing yes but i i i very much enjoyed this particular issue i also felt like 
it was an exciting story. The pacing was good. Yeah, and we, I didn't feel overwhelmed by a ton of extra information. Yeah, like, things it was that just you like, didn't This is just a story. Know. Like right. this is it's a day. <clears throat> it's a day in Krakoa. Something is happening. And now you're left with, oh, crap, who are these people? Right. What's going on? Where's Domino? What's their ulterior motive? Yeah. No, I really enjoyed this issue. I really enjoyed the beginning of X-Force. We don't necessarily need to rank you know, the issue ones as of right now because we still have one left. Yes. But this was in the top half. For yeah, me. for sure. Until next time, old friend. Charles, with your smashed helmet head. See you when you're resurrected. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 